AgBioscience is supported by Indiana Farmers Insurance. Welcome to a year in review of Ag Bioscience. Thanks for joining. I'm Mitch Frazier, CEO of Agrinovis Indiana, and joined by the one behind the button, the one who makes it happen, Kayla Chittister. Nice to step on this side of things for a day. Hi, Mitch. Hey, great. Grateful you're here. And just like always, Kayla, this is the podcast where we explore all things Ag Bioscience. Go the, for it. The people, products, and innovations across <laughs> food, animal health, plant science, and ag tech. She was mouthing it, so I said, <laughs> why not? So we are going to look back. It has been a giant year in ag bioscience all across the country, across the Midwest, certainly here in Indiana. And as we look at what has happened in Indiana in ag bioscience in 2023, the giant takeaway is this tremendous amount of growth that we have witnessed over the last 36 months. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, there's company announcements that we could certainly talk about, but we we really like numbers at Agrinovis. So how about Indeed. some good old fashioned research? Those things that get measured, get managed, and we managed tremendous growth across this economy. We launched back in 2020, a new strategy for Agrinovis, a focus on how do we meaningfully drive growth in the ag bioscience economy. We called it Clever Enough, Grow 2024, our commitment to add $4 billion to this economy by the end of 2024. New research from Techonomy Partners, a research partner of Agrinovis, studied the ag bioscience economy this year, came out with new numbers that gave us an update on where we are in that pursuit of $4 billion of growth, based it off a $52 billion economy in 2018. That was the most recent data. And we didn't, Kayla, we did not achieve $4 billion of growth in six years because we were looking 18 to 24. We achieved $6 billion of growth in 36 months. Yeah. I mean, just a huge finding. And I'm curious from your perspective, if that was surprising to you as the one with a lot of conversations and boots on the ground, were you were you flabbergasted? Was it expected? It was uh, an additional shot of adrenaline. Uh, when, when you look at all the things that are happening. I mean, look back over that period of time. If we look at 2020 to present, and we've worked with our partners at the Indiana Economic Development Corporation to, to really build this magnet. And how do we bring people across food, animal health, plant science, ag tech, agriculture, how do we bring them to Indiana? Through that process over the last three years, we've worked with IEDC to attract more than 2,600 new job commitments, nearly 1.5 billion in capital investment commitments. So I knew that, I think we all felt there was a lot happening. We've seen, you know, in, in that period of time, we've seen Corteva, the fourth largest publicly held company in Indiana, locate their global headquarters here. We've seen a Landco make a giant move with building their new headquarters downtown. And then we've seen just a number of really interesting companies, all sizes, all scales, investing in Indiana. But to see over $6 billion of growth in 36 months, extraordinary. Well, and I think what's really important to note, we've gone through this exercise with Techonomy a few times now. Every category of the economy was right side up on this, this iteration of the research, whether it was value-added food and nutrition, which is obviously our biggest category here in Indiana, right side up. But animal health and nutrition, 27% growth. That's huge. It's incredible. And then to see plant science, which had had taken it on the chin in a couple different of reports of these, it net positive. Yeah. Fantastic. You know, ag tech obviously continues to grow here. And so 
we're seeing it everywhere. And then ultimately in production agriculture, which is where you, you want to see growth because that is the end user and the customer. So a really encouraging report just overall. A balanced portfolio, no doubt. No doubt. We look at animal health and nutrition. You mentioned it, you know, Elanco moving or naming Indianapolis, their global headquarters back in 2020 after their acquisition of Bayer Animal Health. It's one of those things as we look at the current economic environment, we see these areas of focus on consolidation around what does this current market look like? It's almost hard to remember. It's not been that long ago. Jeff Simmons and the team at Elanco making a giant move in 2020 a $7 billion plus acquisition of Bear Animal Health, making them the second largest independent animal health company in the world. And that, to me, as you look at this data, what's driving that growth, you know, it's not just one company, grateful that Alanco's done it, but I think success sells. And when you see companies making big investments, you see Corteva moving their headquarters here in 2022, which actually wouldn't be in this data yet, right? As we look at sort of where all that piece comes together, these big moves are a giant signal to people across the economy, not just here in the Midwest, not just here in the States, but all around the world, that this place, Indiana, this place right here is the place where it has become a destination for innovation. And we're seeing it happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes with this research, we kind of get to skip to the end of the book before we read the beginning <laughs> totally. of it a little bit. And so even the things that we know today are not measured in, in this number make what is to come uh, that much more exciting. No doubt. And you, you look at what we have seen, you pull out some of the stories of those 2,600 new job commitments, the 1.5 billion in capital committed uh, for new operations here in Indiana in that period of time from 2020 to present. One of the stories from this year to me that is just, I think, a massive exclamation point on what's happening here is Liberation Labs. I mean, yeah. an incredible story, precision fermentation company, the former chief engineering officer of Impossible Foods said, hey, listen, one of the greatest challenges, and we've seen lots of turmoil, lots of turbulence in alternative proteins specifically, where you see these companies rise, people get excited about them, and then they're just so capital intensive. And Mark Warner, the CEO, again, former chief engineering officer at Impossible, CEO now of Liberation Labs, said there's a role here for contract manufacturing, for let somebody perfect their recipe, let them perfect all the pieces, but let somebody else sort of plug into the middle of this thing and, and let's really see if we can make capital efficiency a reality in this new alternative protein market Mark is doing it and Mark just secured just a couple of weeks ago, I think, a, a giant USDA support uh, in terms of loan. Yeah. And that was featured in Ag Funder News. And we've had an opportunity to speak with Mark as well. I think he was maybe like the second or third podcast we did this season. No, I think you're right. Yeah. Which feels like not that long ago, but also forever ago as well. We'll link his episode in the show notes so that you can go back and listen to it. But really fascinating work that they're doing. And I think leading the charge in what could be more to come here in the future. And you look at what that operation represents. So op the Liberation Labs operation will be in eastern Indiana, just off Interstate 70 near Richmond, an area that's really struggled in manufacturing and saw you know the departure of a large manufacturer but the workforce that is in that area, incredibly talented workforce, proximity to interstates so being able to move goods fast, access to corn sugar, what's key to fermentation in that process. 
I mean, all the pieces of the puzzle came together in a way that I think is really inspiring for other communities, not just across the state, but across the Midwest of we, we have these assets. We have a balance sheet that's really, really strong. Liberation Labs is a great example of how do you take those assets that are on the balance sheet and begin to turn them into the income statement. Yeah. And I think one of those assets that we talk about maybe a little bit internally, but most people aren't totally aware of, and you mentioned it, are highways. I mean, that proximity to customer and the day's drive to whatever percentage of the country, it's an insane number. It's real. It is. And very attractive. So It is. Well, I think it's what drove the strength in manufacturing that continues to drive the strength in manufacturing. Now we're seeing that move across the ag bioscience economy as well. And this year, I think we've seen some big moves overall in the economy. I think there's some some trends that we could point to, some things when we look at the best of ag bioscience in 2023. To me, as we look through all of these pieces, there really does begin to come maybe some some big moves. One could argue there's maybe four big buckets that we could begin to put these things into. And the the first one that we've talked a lot about, you and I have, but I think the industry has begun to see in a way that's pretty meaningful, two sides of the same coin, challenge and opportunity is ag tech consolidation. We saw uh, Kristen Owen from Oppenheimer joined us earlier this year. Kristen is brilliant, by the way. I really enjoyed that conversation and talked specifically about ag tech consolidation and what's ahead. Take a listen. I think that the broader uh, landscape looks more similar and more connected than it has been before. Uh, We're breaking down silos. And that's come because of innovation. But I think we're also seeing a wave of new generation of of leaders at each of these companies that's really uh, driving innovation towards thinking about agriculture as a system and not just what's what's my lane and how much value can I create in my lane. So I do think that the system looks more like a network and a system over time. And some of that will have to come vis-a-vis acquisitions. You talked about sort of where we are in the in the market economy. Uh, you have a number of companies that um, have benefited from the era of free money. Money is not free anymore. Right. So there may be some consolidation. And I think that that is broadly healthy for the industry. It shows maturity and hopefully from my seat, gets more innovation into the public markets where we can talk about it, teach a broader group of investors about how important agriculture is and and why they should think about this from their climate strategies to their tech strategies to their broader macro strategy. And Kayla, you hear Kristen, her clarity of what she sees and what's ahead. We actually saw that here in Indiana in 2023. Yeah, we certainly did. And I, I would say this one that we're going to talk about here is, is close to home. Um, Intel and Air, who we recently got to to move to Indiana. What was it? End of 21? Yeah, Tim and the 22? team. I Yeah, I think it was 20, late 21, early 22. Yeah, we saw an acquisition come with Acre Technologies. And Acre Technologies is close to our heart because they were the winner of the producer-led innovation challenge. Our producer-led Innovation Challenge last year, Orlando Sayas and that team um, win the challenge, shortly turn and and get an acquisition, which I think is ultimately a fantastic end result and story for them. Without a doubt, bringing strength to what the ag MRI product line that Tim and the team at Intellinear have done. How do you use this crop intelligence and how do you make it more active? They said, well, the way that we can do it in part is continuing to expand the product platform. One of those moves was to make an acquisition and did it with 
Intellinear plus the team at Acre. Take a listen to what Tim had to say when he joined us earlier this year. Yeah, when we looked at Acre, there were two things that stood out for us. One, we thought it was a really good cultural fit. And recognizing that's extremely important in any acquisition that you make. Uh, and we also thought there was a good and strong technology synergy. We had worked with Acre uh, prior in a collaboration agreement. So okay. we knew each other very well. So we were confident of the cultural fit. And on the technology side, uh, Acre has drone capability. We did not have drone capability. So our portfolio and our especially in the area of imagery capabilities. It was extremely complementary bringing that together. So to me, the most important takeaway is that we can now serve customers in a broader way than what we could before. We've talked ag tech consolidation. That was certainly one big bucket of news that we saw, one big trend that we saw in 2023. Another is this new focus on the ag bioscience economy solving bigger challenges just beyond food. Now, Kayla, you know, uh, we often talk internally, Kayla's getting ready to roll her eyes, by the way, (laughs) of this is the only economy in the world that touches every person on the planet because it centers on food. And well, we say that and it's almost become, you know, something that is just that uh, a piece that's out there. It is so real It is so inspiring, so energizing because it is real. This is the only economy that touches every person on the planet. But we're also seeing this economy solving big challenges. Yeah, absolutely. And and we were able to come together with a group of leaders in August at Rally's first innovation conference here in Indianapolis. And you want to talk about a conversation that makes you want to run through a brick wall at the end of it. We were joined by just leaders down to the T with Jeff Simmons from Alenco is there, Brooke Cunningham, the new uh, chief strategy officer for Coteva, and then Audrey Kapazinkas with S2G Ventures. And really, I think, took a good, long, hard look and, and, and holistic approach to what this economy means beyond the farm gate all the way to the end user and, and how we're going to have to evolve our approach in the future to continue to drive this economy forward. Let's take a listen to what Jeff said during the Rally Innovation Panel in Indianapolis. Um, There's a convergence happening right now. When you can touch every person every day, this Mm -hmm. this ought to be the fullest room Mm -hmm. here at an innovation conference. There's a convergence. People talked about it 10 years ago, but now it's happening. Human health, I set for, it came out of Eli Lilly, so I sat at the table for 10 years as an officer of Lilly, and we always talked about, oh, human health converges with animal health, that converges with environmental health, that now is actually converging with energy, Mm -hmm. uh, especially in your industry. So you do not just touch everybody every day, but now you're having these forces coming together to say, you know, we ate more animal protein last year than any time in the history of man. Why? Not just because GDP and population growth, but because, hey, there's this Western diet that I could get a lot of people to raise their hands to say, (laughs) keto, whole 30, Mm -hmm. people are dropping carbs and increasing protein. So that's a good example of, man, human health, we can do more than just our parent company that we came from on diabetes Mm. with better nutrition. And hey, what we can do with corn and energy, and there are farmers in this state today on the environment that are making more money off carbon than they are off on milk. Mm. Uh, It's happened, it's here. There will be climate neutral farms. Cows are going to lower the temperature and we will launch a innovation and Q1 of next year that will be a big player in that. So 
I think, Mitch, I mean, yes, Elanco, exciting why we've got an interest to go independent, why we want, we have a vision to say, reach the world's animals. It's a simple, set up an epicenter right here, building a headquarters about, about a mile from here. And the idea is bring innovators here. And I'll use an example, but, but we're, we're now in over 100 countries and have SAP, supply chain, everything to where we can reach over 20 species of animals. And I was set two years ago with an innovator in Boston, somebody that's probably like in this room. And he had the first SGLT2 from Human Pharma. And he said, I think this can work in cats. And no one that has a diabetic cat will have to inject again. Wow. You can take a pill. That drug now is Bexacat, first SGLT2 approved by the FDA. And we are going to now move that to the global cat population. Mm. That can happen, innovation after innovation, right here mm -hmm. in the state of Indiana. So our vision is to be, you know, the reach. And we've got the two largest, really, two of the That's largest right. uh, plant and animal companies um, within 10 miles of one another to do that. So it's an opportunity. It's, yeah, a, great, it's a great industry. But it's happened. It's not, well, I, I have to say 10 years ago we were talking about it happening. The convergence has happened. It is here. What I love about Jeff's perspective is it's so practical. It is not an abstract thought. It is one that he believes that I think we believe. And it's one that we heard playback, not just from big company leaders like Jeff. We heard it from a venture capitalist with S2G, one of the most active venture capital firms in ag tech in America. Incredible. Audra Kapasinkas joined us on the panel. Take a listen to her perspective on this evolving role of ag bioscience. What we talk a lot about internally is this shift from um, a global system that is grounded in moderation and a shift towards increasing volatility. And by volatility, we mean, you know, coming out of COVID, there's just, there was a breakdown of supply chains. I think folks are realizing mm. what it means to outsource everything. And so there's a bigger focus on onshoring, domesticating supply chains, um, thinking about how to build increasing resilience within the supply chain. And that is unlocking more opportunities as it relates to, you know, production sites, innovation, who folks are looking to partner with. Um, so that's something that we're thinking a lot about. And I think it's also requiring us to be um, more mindful of the technologies that we're using to enable more precision and also to enable more nimbleness. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not enough to be big and to compete on scale. We're moving into a place now where you really need to leverage technology to be able to um, move very nimbly and be able to be much more responsive to what is happening. And, and that is this shift towards volatility. And I think that has climate implications as well, as we're seeing more variability in yeah. climate and all that, as Brooke alluded to. Mm -hmm. um, the second piece that we're seeing that's closer to the entrepreneur side specifically is, you know, I think when the market was flooded with cash five years ago, there was an interest in technology. And there still is a ton of interest in technology, but I would say we're shifting more towards really a focus on the ROI that technologies are driving, yep. and specifically on the investor side, line of sight to profitability. So with a lot of our conversations with our portfolio companies in the last 12 months, it's really been about how do you extend runway, how long until you get to profitability, how long until you get to you know, get off this hamster wheel of fundraising. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a trend that we're expecting to see. Um, and I think the third piece dives in with that, which is um, really the fundraising environment. 
And so for investors, like everyone is beholden to somebody. So entrepreneurs are beholden to their investors. Um, I really liked a comment someone made from Closed Loop Partners, or no, maybe it was Ginger from um, the Heritage Group yesterday where she was like, you know, if you're taking investment from a venture fund, you're basically getting married. Um, and hmm. someone said, I wanted to fact check this, but um, the average era marriage in America is shorter than the engagement with a venture fund. Um, so like some <laughs> terrible statistics. I know it's a terrible statistics, but it's interesting <laughs> to think about. So, um, you know, I think um, for entrepreneurs, it's been a really tough fundraising environment. Mm -hmm. um, within our own portfolio, we're taking a look and saying, okay, we're really doubling down. We want to support the folks that we've um, already kind of placed a bet on. But that means we're not doing a lot of new deals. And so for entrepreneurs who are going out to raise new capital and looking to bring fresh investors to the cap table, it's a very challenging environment. Mm -hmm. And to the point that we're all beholden to somebody, investors who are fundraising are having a really hard time bringing LPs into kind of their realm and getting commitments. And so we're anticipating not only for the fundraising environment for entrepreneurs today to continue to be difficult, but also for emerging funds, like there's probably going to be some turbulence in terms of total capital that's available in the market. And I'd love to get into a discussion actually um, with our panel today around like what it'll take to bring more capital into the space, yeah. particularly around growth stage deals, because that's where we really see it clear. You know, I like to say that, uh, or I don't know if I like to say it, I'm saying it for the first time here, but uh, courts have a kind of a hidden gem here in Indianapolis, the world's largest pure play ag company. And, and we had Brooke Cunningham, new CSO, uh, on stage with us at Rally. I think she was in Indianapolis for all of like five minutes, actually about two weeks, uh, when she joined us talking about, you know, the role of innovation from Corteva and how they'll utilize partnerships across uh, the industry to to drive new results forward. Let's hear from Brooke. So I, I did spend 15 years of my life on Wall Street, um, and I had a, a number of clients um, who suffered the pains and the benefits of being publicly traded and having access to that capital. Um, and I also walked uh, hand in hand with a number of clients through a number of different uh, M&A situations. And I can say I feel like I know pretty well uh, the benefits and the risks that come with using M&A. Mm -hmm. um, it is one great arrow to have in your growth quiver um, that can help you to achieve specific objectives when you find the right fit for your company at the right time with the right value proposition. And I think we did that uh, this year when we acquired uh, Stoller and Simborg which has positioned us now to be one of the largest biological plant health companies in the world. It was a great fit and they're already adding value. Um, what I can also say, again, going back to being beholden and being responsible, is that we are a publicly traded company uh, and we are committed to staying focused on our strategy, uh, to being disciplined allocators of capital, uh, and to making sure that we're always looking at that broad range of strategic alternatives that we have available. Um, we spend a billion dollars, more than a billion dollars a year in R&D um, every single year. That's $5 million every working day that we are spending on research and development. Hmm. So we have a really strong organic trajectory ahead of us. Um, we have been rapidly accelerating the pace at which we are tapping into the external innovation ecosystem, working with early stage companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, not to be a holding company investor, because that's not what we're supposed to be doing, but finding ways to partner with entrepreneurs who have interesting technologies to be able to bring the depth and the scale and the capital um, that Corteva brings to the table to help them to accelerate the pace of development and commercialization of those products. I think we're going to continue to do that as well. 
Um, and then I do think M&A will continue to be a part of our future. Uh, we're just going to be selective and disciplined in terms of how we use it. Um, you really have to look and study proactively all the different options that are on the table and choose the best one that works for you and delivers excellence to your customers. Brooke is a brilliant business leader coming uh, to Indianapolis, coming to Corteva from Lazard, where she led M&A for a number of different organizations, worked with them. Huge fan of Brooke, huge fan of the team that Chuck Magro, the CEO of Corteva, is building right here in Indianapolis. And what was really unique, Kayla, you know, as we think about this evolving role of ag bioscience is this rally cry that's developed across this economy to address not just these challenges we just heard of, not just the challenges of you know, how do we make sure that people can eat, but how do we serve those who are underserved? The Hunger Tech Innovation Challenge is a challenge that we created here at Agronovus two years ago, really coming out of some research. And the idea behind this, I mean, it's so obvious when we say it now, but that research un uncovered this idea that in the future, food security will be driven more by connectivity than proximity. This idea that digital will play a giant role in the future of how do we connect supply and demand to those who are in need. And this hunger tech innovation challenge has become a magnet for innovators. Yeah, I think we've seen so many solutions that look so different that have scalable opportunity, right? That's what's so exciting about the hunger tech challenge. If this problem uh, had already been solved, we wouldn't be having this conversation, but it hasn't been solved yet. And it's not going to be one solution, it's going to be a myriad of them. And so uh, continuing to find those innovators that can bring new ideas to the table on connecting that that food supply with food demand, whether they're getting it at the grocery store or getting it via pantry, super important because everybody's going to be at a different place when it comes to their need and their, their ability to access nutrition and finding those tech solutions, super critical to the importance of um, making sure that hungry mouths are fed. Well, and I think the piece that is such a exclamation point on how this is really evolving to not just a direct ag bioscience economy issue, but a global economy issue is we've seen Elevance Health, the Elevance Health Foundation join forces with us to make this happen. We've seen shipped. I mean, the I have goosebumps. The global delivery service that Target bought 2017, 2018, 2019. Yeah. Shipped came on board with us for Hunger Tech Innovation Challenge and said, let's go solve this together. We named a winner in 2023 of the Hunger Tech Innovation Challenge. It was Green Basket. Take a listen to their commentary of how they're addressing the Hunger Tech Innovation Challenge. Sports. So crop sports are, um, they're nothing but, uh, you could think of them as pop-up farm markets. So you could set up a, a farmer's market somewhere and, um, we originally got the idea from Tabernacle Presbyterian Church. That's where uh, they hold circles. Indeed, they're actually holding that today. I'm very sad we couldn't go today. But um, so they basically organize a, a sort of a communal delivery where they collect money and then they get um, deliveries from local farmers. And so that's where the, we got the idea from crop spots. So instead of having it delivered to everybody's homes, uh, which would raise the prices exorbitantly, we would have these central locations where people could come instead, and then they could get um, they could get vegetables for a, a cheaper price. Um, on 
so and then the second part of the solution was um, trying to figure out how we can get uh, the money to be able to reduce the prices and so uh, to be able to make money we'd have to provide value so we started looking at stakeholders over here uh, who we could provide value for and I think growers came out as the immediate favorite and so we just dove into that we started interviewing uh, growers we started figuring out what their problems were and uh, something that came out was there was a lack of data because and that's understandable because um, as in farms and just markets they're difficult to uh, they're difficult to tap into and so we 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 found out immediately that oh we already have all of the data that they would require so that would be um, so that would include um, you know, just what what is in demand in the market right now? What are the times for um, the right times for harvest? Uh, what are the prices going to be? And just product in inventory. So these are some of the things that we were uh, thinking of from the grower side. So all in all, it's an online marketplace that leverages growers and makes food more affordable and accessible. You know, you mentioned, Mitch, that we, we did name a winner. It was Team Green Basket. And I think it's really important to know when we do plug our innovation challenges because this is our podcast and we That's can right. do that. We can do it. Green Basket was a team of students from IUPUI. And so uh, if you have ever seen things floating about, whether it's our producer-led innovation challenge, which we've already talked about, or the Hunger Attack Innovation Challenge. It, it takes all kinds of kinds to come to the table with these innovations. Please do not ever hesitate to join us and at least attempt to put your solution into the challenge because students win. Students win, innovators win, entrepreneurs win. There's this whole idea about the beginner's mindset and the idea that there's no preconceived notion to see a team like Green Basket bring a new approach to addressing food insecurity incredibly inspiring. So we've talked about these, these big moves, these big areas of emphasis we saw in 2023 as we look back on Ag Bioscience 2023. We've talked Ag Tech Consolidation, just covered the evolving role of Ag Bioscience. Another area that we saw really emerge in 2023 here on the Ag Bioscience podcast is the naming of Indiana, specifically the Indianapolis MSA, as one of 33 federal tech hubs across the country. This is extraordinary by definition. The Chips in Science Act, authored in part by U.S. Senator Todd Young from Indiana, set forth this idea, this concept that these federal tech hubs would be designated by the U.S. Department of Commerce. Indiana brought together a consortium of leaders across human life sciences, plant health, plant science, crop protection, we saw for food leaders, we saw all different leaders come together to compete and we scored a win. One of 31 across the country called the Heartland BioWorks. And Kayla, you and I have talked a great deal about this. You've seen the work behind the scenes. As we began to set forward what could be a federal tech hub focused on biotech innovation it is so incredibly clear that Indianapolis has assets that no place else, not just in the country, but the world have. We have the largest pure play ag company in Corteva. We have the second largest independent animal health company in Alanco. 
We have the most valuable human pharma company in Eli Lilly. We have the nation's largest medical school with Indiana University. We have the largest producer of ag biological engineers at Purdue University. We have the second largest human health insurance company in Elevance Health. And that's just inside this direct area. Indiana is positioned to transform biotech at the intersection between plants, animals, and people. Our friends at the Applied Research Institute were the lead applicants for the Federal Tech Hub designation. Take a listen to Andrew Kosak. He's executive vice president at ARI. What does this tech hub actually mean? Andrew? That is the next question. What is a tech hub? And it can be, it can manifest in a lot of different ways, but the Probably the best way to think about it is it's a regionally concentrated uh, group of entities and organizations, and they're aligned around a mission to advance one of these key technology areas. So, uh, and, you, and the hope is that that impacts positively, certainly economic growth in the region and even has a positive impact nationally, um, has a positive impact on national security because all these technology areas are important to national security and we don't want to be second to anybody else around the globe, certainly our adversaries in these areas. And um, so um, the the key is really um, that geographic concentration and then being able to pull in aligned um, organizations from perhaps outside that geography who can also advance that mission. So part of this phase two process is defining what we want our tech hub to look like. Um, and we've got three initiatives that we've uh, described in the initial application, um, uh, one around workforce training in the life sciences manufacturing area, one uh, launch network for small and growing life sciences manufacturing businesses, uh, and then a, a third program that would focus more on the manufacturing process itself to ensure that uh, we're finding efficiencies and uh, advancing in technologies that will allow us to um, certainly not offshore any of this technology that we're developed, uh, that we're developing here domestically. So you've just heard from Andrew, and I think it's it's apparent we found the strength here in the state, Incredible and, and we found Incredible. that that first round win. But as we know, we need that knockout punch, and that's going and finding the funding and getting the funding secured. So what are those next steps? What does that look like? Yeah, next steps look a whole lot like this. We are now continuing to bring those people together early on that said, we think biotech innovation has a place in Indiana. Here's where we're going. The next round of applications to the U.S. Department of Commerce into February. And so we will compete at the end of February for somewhere between 40 and $70 million of funding from the federal government to turn this idea this designation of a tech hub into something that is funded. So that's the next step. And we consistently talk with people on this podcast, Mitch, where we are asking them, how does your innovation have root, like tentacles? Where right. where else can this go? And I think that is the wondering question that we're going to be funded and allowed to do should that come through of, you know, how do human health applications work on animals? How do the animal applications work on humans? How do plants get optimized for human health? And what an exciting opportunity for Indiana. Oh, it's thrilling. We, we just had a, a quadrant event not that long ago where we talked with leaders at Lilly and Corteva and Alanco. Andrew from ARI joined us. And it was so interesting. You know, when you look at this connection between plants, animals, and people, 
one, it's fun to say, so that's good. But two, <laughs> it becomes really real, right? So imagine a world where you're optimizing a plant to have a benefit in an animal. And that animal, you know, whether it's protein production, whether whatever that is, and then beginning to optimize the animal for human health production, or, and this is what we heard at Quadrant from Dr. Doug Miller is, how do we optimize that animal to have a, a reduced environmental impact as it grows? And so the human environment then becomes a piece, not just human health, but human environment, which then ultimately has an impact on human health. There is so much here. And, and I think it really leads us into what we saw as the fourth big area of focus here on the Ag Bioscience podcast in 2023 as we look at our year in review. And that is this, this renewed focus on the farmer and the amount of innovation that's happening. Kayla, you are a farm broadcaster. You have been in this market for a considerable amount of time. This rising role of the farmer, of the farmer as an innovator, just incredible. This was the year where I really felt like that, felt like that was a breakout. Yeah, and I will say it's a breakout and it's also the constant, right? Totally. We talk a lot about innovation for innovation's sake here. What problem are you uniquely positioned to solve with your innovation? And so uh, to refocus that and look ahead knowing that What's coming to market is there to benefit the farmer, to create new revenue streams, to offer them the opportunity to have more operating agility. That's what it has to be. It is. And it's what is driving the state. We are blessed in Indiana to have just tremendous amounts of leaders who Absolutely. are future focused, who see the role of innovation, who have created an environment where innovators, technical innovators, scientific innovators can come together and I think one of the, the greatest has been one who has really been a part of an evolution of a company that has gone from a very much a local to a regional player into a national player. And that's our friends at Bex Hybrids. Scott Beck, president of Bex Hybrids, joined us on the podcast earlier this year to talk about Bex, its trajectory, its growth, and what's really differentiating Bex as an innovator is they continue to focus on the farmer. Well, I think a lot of it stems from us being grounded with the farmer. I mean, we talk about ourselves being farmers at heart and a lot of our employees actually farm. And so a lot of our innovative ideas come through that pathway of listening to farmers. Uh, we also, as you know, uh, Brad Fruth is our director of innovation. You and he spend a lot of time together and indeed we on, do on searching out new innovations yes. and uh, exploring those things that, Great that um, allow us then to see into the future uh, in terms of technology and the way things might be done. And then we bring that into the company and explore it with our different managers um, in all segments um, of the business. And from the farmer perspective, you know, we're getting a look at some of those future things that, you know, if we ask them today what they what they wanted to be doing five years from now in terms of innovation, they wouldn't have any. They wouldn't have certain ideas because they haven't been exposed to some of the things that Brad and our team has. And so we're when we bring those into our practical farm research, they get to see and walk the plots and experience the equipment functioning and that type of thing. And. You know, so tomorrow uh, we fly out to Salina, Kansas uh, to do the groundbreaking on 
our new distribution and practical form research site there on the north side of Salina. So that will be our ninth location uh, in our 15 state marketing area where we're planting roots for practical farm research, where we'll actually have a, a show in August. And farmers, you know, we'll invite farmers in. This year we had, uh, we had over 20,000 people uh, come to our August shows. Um, our, our granddaddy is here at, in Atlanta, Indiana, Technology Days, and we had around 13,000 people show up over those three days. But the other shows throughout our marketing area are one-day shows in different states. And uh, we had over 7,000 people attending those. So that's how we showcase the new innovations that are coming to agriculture, both from what the farmer has told us they want to see and from what innovative companies uh, are bringing to us. You know what I think is really unique with Bex specifically going back to my days as a, a farm broadcaster, which that was about 12 years ago. And I, I think to that time, it felt like Every couple of months, there was an expansion release right. coming up across my desk for Bex. You know, Illinois, Minnesota, you name it, they were expanding. And it was a really big story. And we've heard Scott say it. The focus has always been on the farmer. It remains on yes. the farmer. And it's why they are so successful. And I think it's we're very blessed to have them here. Uh, we hope they're here for a very long time. And and I think, you know, leadership across our state really helps drive that willingness and that, that validation to stay. And we were able to uh, sit down with our state's new leader uh, in the Department of Agriculture earlier this year, Don Lamb, who is a farmer himself. Absolutely. And so uh, getting his perspective on how innovation will continue to enable the farmer in existing and new ways in the future. Let's hear from Don who we are. Ag biosenses is huge and it's big and it's part of our economic development. And, you know, the thing about production agriculture is we are a piece of that puzzle. We're, we're an, well, we're an extremely important part of that puzzle. Yes. We have to be there. And I think we as farmers in production ag kind of forget that. And sometimes we can not think about the fact that we're on the same team. And and it reminds me when I think about that that sort of thing, when I was in high school, I played a little bit of basketball. I wasn't real great, but I, but I did play ball. And one of those drills was going up and down the court, throwing that ball back and forth. And then somebody, you know, we couldn't dribble. You couldn't right. do it on your own. You had to throw it back and forth. And at the end, somebody makes a layup. And when I think about how, you know, we in production agriculture can look at ag biosciences, I look at it like that. We're, if it wasn't for us buying products and using products and, and doing that, then there wouldn't be the, the money for the research and development to create these products. And then to use those products to increase what we're doing and to, and, and to be able to do a better job for in every way, producing, you know, low cost food, but also being good for our environment being good for health, all those things that the ag bioscience part brings to us. It's just a great partnership. And we throw that ball back and forth. Absolutely. And at the end, somebody gets to make a layup, you know, and it can't be the same one each time, you know, both of us have to have to win and, and, um, and, and we're on the same team. So, you know, I want production agriculture to be on the team solidly with ag biosciences and know that we work together. And, and I want to be a part of that, that puzzle with you as we talk about that. Don is an incredible human being. Indiana is in a fantastic place because of leaders like Don who have chosen to serve, who step away from the farm and driving this economy forward. As we look at the Ag Bioscience podcast in 2023, we did see these four big areas of focus. We saw ag tech consolidation. We heard from Kristen and Tim. We talked evolving role of ag bioscience. We heard from a lot of leaders across big companies and venture capital the farmer focus that you just mentioned and the federal tech hub. But 
the thing that is always good when we look at year in review and we look at all the stories that have made headlines in the year gone by or the year soon to gone by, we can't overlook headlines themselves. And Kayla, I am, you know this, I was over the moon excited uh, when we saw for the first time in history, the Indianapolis Business Journal, the IBJ, focusing an entire issue. They have an innovation issue once a year. They focus the entire issue on one economy. And that economy was Ag Bioscience. It was extraordinary. Always fun to make history. Even better when that history shines a giant spotlight on the only economy in the world that touches every person on the planet. I had a chance to sit down with IBJ's Mason King to talk about the IBJ innovation issue Incredible, incredible story. Take a listen to the conversation with Mason King at the IBJ. How do we get these things working together to create what you would consider to be an ecosystem? Uh, I mean, uh, just a, a much bigger system where everything is working, not everything, but everything is working together to uh, you know enhance the state standing in, in the sector. We're not as good as we will be tomorrow. We're better today than we were yesterday. And that's not just me saying that, there's data behind it. If we look at the study that we talked about at the beginning of this, and we said 58 billion in direct economic output of the ag bioscience economy. If we look back three years ago, when that three years prior, so in 2018 data, in the last report, it was 52 billion. So in, in a matter of 36 months, this economy grew $6 billion. So momentum is on our side. In that period of time, and shortly thereafter, we saw two global headquarters in ag bioscience companies, Corteva and Alanco, that you mentioned, locating here. We've seen Purdue to continue to make moves. We've seen connections with IU and others across the state. We are doing more today at the intersection of animals and plants and people and ag tech and food than I think we ever have, but it's because we have to. I mean, I, I keep going back to this idea that Look, this isn't just innovation for innovation's sake. And boy, wouldn't it be neat if we could have an exit of a company or wouldn't it be great if we could have this next blockbuster and we have the next unicorn? That'd be awesome. But the reality is the innovation here is critical to life. Hard stop. I mean, the innovation here is critical that we innovate in each of those five key areas to ensure that we build a globally sustainable, resilient food system, plants, animals, people, food, production, agriculture, all of those pieces need to be a part of this. And Indiana is a place where that can happen. And it's not just ag bioscience. I think this is a piece too, as we think about what's this ecosystem look like. And we've talked about ag bioscience and what's here, but we'd be remiss if we didn't say what actually happens to this food when it gets to people. Well, we just heard recently, Eli Lilly is now the most valuable healthcare company, pharmaceutical company, I believe, right. in, in the world. Yeah, market cap. Yeah. Mark, by market mm -hmm. cap. Well, we also have the nation's largest medical school here with IU Medical School. And so you, you begin to, to look at where all these pieces come together. Well, if we, have, if we have innovators in plant science and those plants ultimately can feed people or can feed animals, we have a leader in animal health that can do the same thing. We have a leader in human health and we have a medical school who can continue to innovate at the intersectionality of all that. And we have Purdue University on one side. We have Indiana University on the other. I don't believe there's another metro, not just in this country, but in this world that has the assets that we have here in Indiana. You know, Mitch, I'm not sure you've ever tossed it 
to you <laughs> inside of a podcast. So we're doing new things here today. Oh, it's good. It's called innovation. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, allow myself to introduce myself. You know, I think with the IBJ innovation issue, first of all, thank you to them. That was an huge. absolutely huge thing for us to be able to watch innovators who have great stories share those stories and we could say that it's just because they really like us and we're super special. But I, I do think it calls to this larger trend of mass interest flocking to this part of our economy, this part of our sector, and and paying really close attention to those innovators and saying, wow, I had no idea this was happening here. Well, I think one thing that we have seen, you know, we saw it in the IBJ innovation issue, we're seeing it in quantitative data as well. The Indianapolis Business Journal last year counted down the top venture capital deals in the state. And this is a incredible proof point. Three of the top five venture deals in the entire year of 2022 were ag bioscience companies. I think the, the other thing that we've seen is when people begin to see there's heat, right? You, you see three, three of the top five venture deals. You see two globally headquartered public companies move their headquarters or establish their headquarters in Indianapolis. You see a growing area of focus on innovation. And we all have a relationship with food. So the barrier is pretty low. People go, oh, I know something about that. I'd like to have a part of that. And the work that you and your team specifically here at Agronovus have led is one of how do we build the next chapter of interest in this ag bioscience economy? How do we connect with students who are developers or engineers or marketers or finance majors? It is it has become a really interesting discussion with those young people. Yeah. And so we have our career exploration platform, Field Atlas, myfieldatlas.com, if you want to look at it online. But, you know, it is really designed and curated with that student in mind. I didn't plan to ever be here. I know Same. you didn't ever plan That's to right. be here. And there are more stories like that than there aren't. And so Field Atlas is really there to help catch those those people earlier and to shape their understanding of an industry that could be a little bit patchwork and confusing to them. And so uh, we see it time and again through our ambassador program on campus. We have sustainability majors. We have biology majors. We have engineering majors. It's so exciting to see that variety of young person interested in in the industry and learning about it in real time. And then, you know, you kind of couple it with some of the market validation we hear from industry leadership about what it is they're looking for. And holy cow, we have ignited something fantastic here. And, and Field Atlas is, is driving, I think, that next wave of, of students and young people coming into industry and, and wanting to know where their place might lie. We often talk about if you want to make a difference, this is the place to do it, right? Because this is the only economy in the world that touches every person on the planet. If you're a young person and you want to have a career that really makes a difference, well, ag bioscience is where you need to be. The great news is, is we're not alone in that story. Corteva's CEO, Chuck Magro, spoke at the Economic Club in Indianapolis not that long ago. And Chuck shared almost that same story. Take a listen to Chuck at the Economic Club luncheon. Well, look, look the, the economy uh, was just very tight when it comes to a labor and, and available labor, and we've all went through that. And as a science and technology-based company, you know, we are really literally only as good as our culture and our talent. And, and 
I always tell my leadership team when they ask about, we have lots of strengths as an organization. You know, we have 17,000 patents as a, as a company um, and we're putting another four to 5,000 patents into the system every year and they think, okay, that's our competitive advantage. And I say, you know, patents have a finite life, right? Really the only competitive long-term advantage any company has is its culture and its talent. And, and that's the way we, we think about it. So uh, the leadership team at Corteva, the way, the way we spend our time is we spend about a third of our time on, on people and culture. And we really try to understand the, the future of ag, the future of Corteva, what, what is really gonna be needed and what skill sets we need uh, today, what skill sets we're gonna need tomorrow. Um, and, and when we're thinking about that, the other uh, decision we made is Last year, we made the decision to increase the level of R&D investment, which is a little challenging when you saw crop prices go down, say, for corn from $6 down to the mid-fours today, and we're increasing investment in research and development. The board was a little nervous, but, but the board got there, and, and I, I could understand why. But we are um, adding several hundred positions in research and development around the world, and we're looking for talent literally around the world. And some of that will obviously be here, but, but we're in the market for the same skills that many of you are. We're looking for chemists and biologists and agronomists and engineer and data, data scientists. These are gonna be the, the future, I think, that Corteva certainly needs. Um, and and that, that's been, I think that's been well-documented and we're, we're, I think we're having good success at hiring the, uh, these skill sets. Um, but when you're in a growth mode like we are in research and development in the technology organization, it is something that concerns me because we can only uh, deliver business results to the level that we have the talent and the skills. Um, and when we're in a growth mode when it comes to R&D, that, that is a concern. But what I would say is Corteva's got a very good brand in, in the market in, in, our, in our world, in ag and ag technology. I think the one thing that we have to do as an industry is if you're not from agriculture or you don't have experience on a farm, will you, if, in, for those that have children, you should go home and ask them tonight, have you ever thought about a career in agriculture? People just, some people are, are a little far removed from farms today, from agriculture. And so we have to do a better job as a company and as an industry to say, look, agriculture is actually a high technology business. It, it, it has, it's one of the most sophisticated, advanced, um, uh, industries in the world, but we're not often thought about that. Sometimes we're thought about as, you know, you see, you drive down the, a back road and you see a farmer and a tractor doing something very similar to what they did uh, just five, 10, 15 years ago. But in that tractor today, there is more technology, almost as much technology as in an airplane. Um, and, and we need to tell that story. We need to ensure that uh, we're, because we, we have to, draw the next generation of talent, I think, to ag and to ag sciences. And I think that's our mission as an organization and as an industry. You know, I think my favorite part about doing this podcast, this is year number two of us doing a year in review, is that there are going to be very few episodes that feature Chuck Magro and Jeff Simmons in the in the same audio file. So, so I feel a lot of pride for that. We have had an awesome time. This was season six of Ag Bioscience. Thank you so much to those who have invested your time on the daily commute, your time on the treadmill, your time and workout, whatever it is, wherever it is you listen, it is appreciated. It is recognized and not just by Kayla and I, but the entire Agronovus team, the entire Agronovus board, what we're creating here, these conversations we have really designed to inspire, energize, 
turn ideas into actions. And Kayla, we're getting quantitative data that says this is working. Yeah, it's absolutely your favorite stat to share that the Ag Bioscience Podcast, the little podcast that could, uh, is in the top 5% of all podcasts globally. And yeah. so that doesn't happen without people on the other end. That's right. Without <laughs> listeners, top 5%. Like you you said that a little humbly. I'm not gonna. Uh, so there are 3.2 million podcasts, if memory serves correctly, in the world. 3.2 million. This podcast that you make possible among the top 5% of that 3.2 million worldwide. I mean, that is special. It is special. And we're not done. We, we are already teed up for season seven. <laughs> in fact, we have an incredible guest to kick us off coming up in the new year. Now, next week, I think we're going to have maybe uh, a, a quick rundown of the most performant podcasts. You'll get a chance to go back and listen to some of your favorite issues. But when we come back in the new year, we have an incredibly special guest to kick off season seven. Mm-hmm. He might be Ag Bioscience's biggest cheerleader. And by biggest, I mean tallest. (laughs) Tallest with cowboy boots. Uh, I don't think we can say yet. I don't know that we're allowed to say yet who that is. Uh, But I think you'll, not I think, you'll definitely recognize him. And he is one of the greatest champions of the Ag Bioscience economy, not just here in Indiana, but all across the world. Yeah. We really do thank everyone for listening. We hope you continue to listen, subscribe, rate us, do all the things that little podcasts need to do to survive. We we deeply appreciate your weekly download. It, it does mean a lot. It means a lot. We've covered a lot of ground that you've made possible in 2023. We've talked about these big areas of focus that we've seen, that you've seen, that this economy has witnessed. We've seen ag tech consolidation. We've seen the rising role of ag bioscience. Farmers remaining the focus. We've seen the U.S. Department of Commerce named Indianapolis, a federal tech hub. We made the innovation issue. Like we were the innovation issue of the Indianapolis Business Journal. We're attracting new talent to this economy through Field Atlas at myfieldatlas.com. And we are buckling up for a new year ahead. It is a delight. Kayla Chittister, you are an amazing partner. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for uh, making this possible every week. And as always, on behalf of the entire Agronovus team, in an incredible 2023, I'm Mitch Frazier. Saying thanks for listening. We look forward to seeing you real soon. Thanks so much. This podcast is a product of Agronovus Indiana in collaboration with Inside Indiana Business. Hosted by Mitch Frazier. Produced by Kayla Chittister and Fabian Rodriguez. Photography by Kaylee Kerr. To get all ag bioscience news all the time, visit agronovisindiana.com. Indiana.com.